Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. Yes, I know exactly what you guys are thinking. Two shows in one week, Tyler. How could you guys? Well, guess what? There's been a little bit of news over the past couple of days, so we. I felt like, you know, I had to take a second here to update you, followers of the Kuehl Podcast. But before you do, before we get too far into it, be sure to use hashtag the Kuehl Podcast to talk about this episode and another Saturday morning show for yours truly. No, we didn't do ABC's one Saturday morning this time because, well, I just didn't have time. And for some reason... My phone does not want to post Instagram videos. I'll be honest, a little frustrating at times. Also, you can tweet us tweet us at the Kuehl Podcast. Tweet me at TJKU29 and tell me what you think of all the stuff we're going to talk about today. We got a, a shorter list, but definitely a lot to talk about. But also, folks, be sure to check out Downtown Sports Network at DT Sports Network on Twitter, downtownsportsnetwork.com, for all of your sports information through podcasts, NFL podcasts, college football podcasts. I got game day going on in the background right now. Good Saturday slate of games here in the NCAA. They got a lot of good shows as well. I think there's Downtown Spartans, Downtown Jayhawks, Downtown whatever. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about on that front, so check them out as well. So far, still the only hockey show on DTS, but nonetheless, or DSN, excuse me, I should say, nonetheless, we're glad to be a part of them still, but let's get to the nitty gritty. It's not going to be one of our longer two-hour shows, I apologize for that, mainly because A, only a few things to talk about, and B, a little bit of time constraints for yours truly this morning, but we're going to get into breaking news first. As reported a little less than an hour ago, as reported by Washington Post, Isabel Kristian, Evgeny Kuznetsov is going to be suspended by the National Hockey League. Of course, this is in reaction to Kuznetsov being banned four years by the double IHF for failing a coke, excuse me, failing a drug test where there was cocaine found in his system. Now, of course, like I, we said before when Alex and I had talked about it a while back, we had mentioned that cocaine is deemed by the double IHF a performance enhancement drug. That said, the NHL does not view it that way. It's more or less a substance abuse policy issue. Hence why now I think the NHL, in reaction to, I guess, the backlash by fans, by media, maybe some players in the PA as well, that they're going to suspend them just in almost like a, like a knee-jerk reaction, if you will. Kuznetsov is going to be suspended. They say no more than three games, and I believe it's been confirmed that it's going to be three games by the National Hockey League. But nonetheless, it I think this is a move by the NHL to kind of, I don't want to say cover their butts, but had it not been that way, had the double IHF not caught it and say Kuznetsov had been found with traces in his system some other form, I don't think it would have been the same way. I remember Zach Cassian had the issue a few years ago with the Montreal Canadiens before being traded to the Edmonton Oilers. So... It'll be interesting to see the reaction by other fans and other media. All it really is now is the report. Nobody's been really there. I mean, of course, there is, you know, your your hockey Twitter opinions by, you know, your random folks and trolls, if you will, and burner accounts galore. But I am, I'm not going to put my input on it other than the fact that it could be a knee-jerk reaction by the NHL due to the backlash by everyone in the media. So... And like I said, it's only three games of an 82-game schedule. 
Kuznetsov, he'll, I believe he's still allowed to be in camp, if I'm not mistaken. I have not quite seen anything to suggest otherwise. All that was really reported was the report that he's going to be suspended. But that's really all we know for now. Obviously, like I said, it's breaking news. I guarantee you, as soon as the show is recorded, post it up online. You guys listen to it right now. There'll be a lot more news and a lot more reaction to it on the social media and all of the fellow media outlets. But the big reason why, folks, we are doing, or we, I am doing the show this morning, Mitchell Marner has finally signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, I said Toronto, Alex. You better be happy with that when you hear this. It was reported last night at about 7.10-ish, a little after 7 o'clock. And you want to know why, folks? You want to know why that I knew this? So last night, I was calling a men's soccer match for Davenport University, my job, my broadcasting job. And the National Anthem had just finished up. We were still live on the air. And I looked down at my phone. Because sometimes I like to make sure if anyone, because sometimes my boss will text me if something doesn't sound right, or somebody will text me and say, hey, say, make sure you say this, blah, blah, blah. You know, obviously, communication between the press boxes, because the press box at Davenport's Farmers Insurance Athletic Complex is very small and kind of secluded from everyone else, which most press boxes are in the NCAA. So, when I look at my phone and I see Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson, Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, Pierre Lebrun, some guy from the score, a schmuck retweeting this, something's clearly going on here. Bob McKenzie's was the most notable, saying Toronto, Tor- Marner six-year deal done with Toronto, or with T-O-R, sorry. So, of course, live on the air, I apologize, by the way, to anyone that's from Davenport that listens to this show and was watching the broadcast last night for the very awkward 20 seconds of dead air because my arms were flailing and I had Davenport D1 goaltender Jason Reinald was a couple boxes down and he he's a Leafs fan as well and the way, if you've ever been inside a professional press box, they have wind, they have like walls, but they have like windows between each one. So if there needs to be like clarification on a, on a stat or something like that, particularly in baseball parks as well, but that's how it works at Davenport. So I could see two press boxes down, see Reinald and him and I were just like flailing our arms back and forth at each other. I don't think anything was heard on the broadcast. I hope, I don't think I said anything, but I didn't know how to react. And all of a sudden I realized, wait, Tyler, focus. We have to call the game. So I'd wait till halftime to lose my darn mind, which for those that do not understand how soccer or football works, it was 45 minutes. That's a long time for someone like me to talk about something so important like this. But let's get down to the logistics. Mitchell Marner with the Toronto Maple Leafs. $10.893 million AAV. For six seasons, I believe a grand total of $65,358,000 over that time. And compared to the Matthews contract, the big thing that everyone wanted to see, 
Of course, Matthews is signed for five years at 11.634, and that actually comes out to 58170000 So yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell Marner, yes, he's making one, he's playing one more season, and at least his contract is one more season. Mitchell Marner is going to make more in his contract than Austin Matthews. Which is very odd, because remember the report that came out, the 11 million by eight or 11 million by seven years. So ladies and gentlemen, yes, I want to see all your reaction and say, oh my goodness, guys, he took a pay cut. He took a pay cut. No, he didn't. The same way that Connor McDavid didn't take a pay cut. You're still getting 12 and a half million dollars. It's not a pay cut. You kidding me? $10.893 million. Let's call this a win for the, the Mitch Marner camp and Darren Ferris sitting there just, you know, just wrapping himself in $100 bills or maybe just holding onto the check, whatever he, his 10% or whatever the heck that is. So currently, according to Cap Friendly, the projected cap hit for the Toronto Maple Leafs this upcoming season, $94,865,199, which the projected LTIR use through the contracts of Nathan Horton and David Clarkson, will total up to $13,365,199. That's their projected LTIR use. Obviously, Zach Hyman and Travis Dermott on IR as well to start the year. But they will not count because obviously LTIR only counts for Horton and Clarkson. And of course, at Sid60 on Twitter of Tim and Sid, Made a very good point saying, now we can stop talking about the facts that, you know, you know, we can stop talking about the big contracts or whatever, and Mitch Marner and all that. So how much or so when the Leafs start negotiating Frederick Anderson and Morgan Riley, thank you, Sid Sixero, for doing that to just 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 poke you with this like a little twig. Just like, hey, 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 remember this guy these guys gotta get signed too. It's almost like annoying. But then again, Sid Sixero is a wonderful man. Sydney is beautiful, he has great tweets, he's funny, and then he just does something like that. It's a little annoying, but back to Mitchell. Mitchell went out on Twitter yesterday, and of course, shortly after the contract was released, he came out and said, right after, almost immediately after the announcement, I'm exactly, or so I'll uh, quote tweet, yeah, quote, I'm exactly where I want to be, in front of the greatest hockey fans in the world, proudly continuing the tradition with the at Maple Leafs. See you soon. End quote. Oh, Mitch. Mitchell, 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 Mitchell. Well done on your part. Trying to save your old derriere by sounding like, hey, yes, I'm in front of the greatest hockey fans in the world, right where I want to be. Under my terms, though, of course. He forgot to put that in there. He probably should have added that. Hey, it's 280 characters. There's plenty of room in this little tweet here to add that into there. He probably could have done that. It would have, hey, it would have been honesty, right? Transparency, that's kind of key. It's very kind of ignored in the National Hockey League. But nonetheless, you would think maybe, just maybe, he would have been a little honest with the fans on that one. I'm glad, guys. I'm glad that I'm in front of the greatest fans in the world. He probably is. He wants to be a Leaf. But like I said in the last episode, under his terms. Now, yes, did he make $11 million? No, he didn't make 11. Darn close, but not 11. 
Did he get the term that he wanted? Yes, I believe so. He didn't want too many UFA years bought out. He was probably looking for a five-year deal because he's going to want maybe a bigger contract by the end of it. He doesn't care the fact that, you know, an eight-year deal, he'll be a Leaf forever or a Leaf for his entire career. No, he wants to get paid. He's expecting by the time the six-year contract ends up, he'll be a 95 to 100-point player consistently, and he'll make $12, $13 million. Of course, that's also depending on the inflation value of what it's going to look like, but or how big the salary cap is going to be at that point. But don't forget, at that point, you're still going to, I mean, you're hoping as a Leafs fan that Matthews will be still there. Tavares will still be there. You're hoping Morgan Riley will still be there. Let me tell you, folks, yes, this is a five to six years down the line kind of deal. I understand that. But I can tell you right here now that when that day comes, it'll be Armageddon once again. You think the last two years were rough on Leafs Nation and Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. Well, that was, those are some rough couple years and it's going to be even rougher. Rougher like a pupper when these two, con- when those contracts, all of them, not just Nylander, not just Marner, not just Matthews. You'll be close to Tavares. You're obviously, Riley's going to have to be dealt with by then. The goaltending situation is going to have to be dealt by then. Yes, that is way down the line, but looking at this here, Mitch Marner, Definitely won Kyle Dubas. And I believe, because Kyle Dubas came out and talked to the media on the opening day of training camp, saying how they're going to, he answered some questions about it, but he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Obviously, that was only a couple days ago, so they didn't have to wait long to talk about it. And I can't, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to react, what Dubas' reaction going to be. Brandon Shanahan, Michael Babcock. You have to really wonder what their mindset is. Is this a move to literally just say, you know what, fine, let's do this, let's get this over with, let's get playing hockey? Because now there's no, there is no such thing as a five-year rebuild anymore. It is win now. There, the window is open. It is time to win a cup. There is not a single team here in the National Hockey League that has three players that are signed for this much money that are over $10 million at this extent. And these three caliber of players, Edmonton Oilers fans, you're welcome. You're off the hook. You're off the hook last year after Matthews signed and you realize that, Hey, you're gonna have Tavares and Matthews signed for that much. Jeez, we're not that bad at all with Leon Dreisaitl and McDavid. Why? Cause they both put up almost a hundred points. Matthew's never come that close before. So with that said, having Mitchell Marner sign this extension, now it's more or less a yes. The cap situation will be a crunch. It'll be tough. But it's more or less a deal because the Leafs realize with this caliber of team, these players, they are going to have to win. That's why this contract was signed. Five to six years from now, we could see a completely different Leafs team. Easily. Because now, the five-year window of getting to the point where they're a good team in five years, a cup contender in five years, has now turned into, you need to win a cup in five years. So they really put the pressure on themselves, the Leafs have. But the big news is, of course, Marner's signed. He'll be in camp. He should be ready for game one. 
How will he play? How will the fans react? I'm sure he'll get a, you know, he'll be cheered still. I'll still cheer for him. Simply because of the fact he's playing for the team that I cheer for. However, in the back of your mind, of course, is the fact that this contract is a little bit much. It will be tough to acquire players at the deadline without giving up a player that they have. Yes, Zach Hyman's out for a little bit. Yes, you're going to have Travis Dermott, who, by the way, Travis Dermott is entering his last year of his entry-level contract, which means he's an RFA next year. So yes, the RFA madness for the Leafs is not over yet, folks. But that said, how will he play? Obviously, when you're going to get paid this much, you have to play big. How will Matthews do in his first year of his new contract? That's a big key as well. Will John Tavares still be able to produce? Well, if you're playing, a, if you're centering a line with Martin on your wing, he'll put a few points here and there. So, it's going to be a very big season here for the Leafs. Will they take that step forward and be a cup-contending team? Will they win a round in the playoffs? Will they beat the Bruins? Because let's be honest, guys, <laughs> they're going to play the Bruins. Somehow Tampa will win the division, and 2-3 and three will be Boston and Toronto. How will it go for the Leafs this season? Obviously, we'll find out in 82 games how they do in the regular season. But, of course, having Marner signed, getting him in the books, now it is win. Win now Leafs. Make it a hashtag, folks. Hashtag the Kill Podcast. Hashtag win now Leafs. It is a going to be an interesting season for Toronto. Obviously, expectations have gone from high to through the roof of the Scotiabank Arena. The expectations are so high, the CN Tower is even trying to reach for the expectations of where the Leafs are at. Now, moving on from Marner. Yes, you thought I was going to start yelling and screaming, folks. Yes, I've had coffee this morning, but I've had a night to think about this. If I did the show last night when I got home from the game, oh boy, there would have have been some neighbors calling the cops. They've been that loud down here. But, decided to keep it calm, be reasonable about this. I guess we can't move too far away from Marner to talk about the fact that the Leafs are apparently closing in on choosing a captain this season. Babcock said they're closing in, but they're not going to make a decision yet. Now, yes, there was the rumor that the Leafs were waiting for Mitch Marner to sign before they do that. And then, of course, Jeff O'Neill on overdrive yesterday made a very good point. Now, I was talking to Reinald about this during halftime. I have a love-hate relationship with Jeff O'Neill. He's a little bit old-fashioned at times. He is a little bit of over-opinionated, old-school thinking at times. But he made a very good point yesterday when talking about if the Leafs were actually waiting for Mitch Marner. He began to question the, the MO of Dubas and Shanahan if they didn't want to hurt Marner's feelings if they assigned a captain before they signed him. Because there's no way the Leafs don't know who they're going to pick. It's Riley or Matthews. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I love JT, and JT was a great captain with the Islanders. However, in terms of it being his team, it's not John Tavares' team. It's Morgan Riley's or it's Austin Matthews. Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, and Frederick Anderson are the big three for the Leafs right now. And of course, no offense to Frederick Anderson, he's a goaltender. I was a goaltender. I understand. Having a goaltender be captain, be a captain, be a leader in the room, that's okay. But wearing the C out on the ice, 
it's a little, it's different. It's weird. But Frederick Anderson, obviously being a big leader on this team, but the Leafs have it set. There's no way that Dubas, Shanahan, Babcock, they have already made a decision on who they want wearing the C this season. If they've already made up their mind, if they're actually going to go forward with it. I believe this year is the year that they have a captain. Now, really, will it change the dynamic? Media-wise, yes. Fan-wise, yes. Team-wise, if they they don't let the fans and media make a big deal about it, I don't think so. The team will run the same way. They'll have the same leaders in the locker room. They'll just have one guy wear the C out there. Morgan Riley, John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Frederick Anderson. Those guys are leaders on this team. There's no question about it. But now having a guy to actually wear the C and be the symbol for not just the, not the team, but the rest of the league to see, I think that's why they're finally going to go through with it. Now, yes, there has not been a captain since Dion Phaneuf was traded in February of 2016, which, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the longest tenures in Leafs history. Because I remember, of course, after Matt Sundin was, was signed on with the Vancouver Canucks, I believe they went the entire season without a captain. Someone can please tweet me at the hashtag the podcast to make sure I am correct on that one. Or if I am wrong, please let me know. I will gladly accept the criticism on that. But Leafs sign Marner. Captain going to be named here soon. Will it be named today? I don't know. With the Kiel Podcast luck, hashtag the Kiel Podcast luck, it'll be announced 10 minutes after I'm done recording the show, or 10 minutes after I'm out and about today, because that's just how it works. You want to know how I know it works? Because of other news that happened right after, the day after we recorded, earlier this week. On Thursday, Josh Morrissey signed his extension with the Winnipeg Jets. Eight years by $6.25 million did number 44 sign on for with Winnipeg. And that extension will kick in, like I said, next season, not this coming year. Morrissey still has one more year at $3.15 million. However, signed, like I said, eight by 6.25. They're giving him the max amount of years and I think this is a very fair contract for a defenseman like Morrissey. He doesn't put up astronomical points. He did hit his career high last year with 31 points. But his game is obviously a two-way game. He can play on the penalty kill. He has a tendency to jump in on the offensive rush, but he's a good two-way defenseman. That's why the Jets wanted to lock him up long-term. And a lot of people were on the fence about either him or Truba, but then you see Truba getting 8 by 8 with the Rangers and 8 by 6.25 with Morrissey. You know what? A lot of people will take that contract for Josh Morrissey more than Jacob Truba. Obviously, we'll be interested to see how Truba does going over to the Rangers. How will that go with New York, a team that could be a playoff team all of a sudden, could be a really good, tough team in that Metro division. But now you have Josh Morrissey. He'll be stepping into a much bigger role with this team. Of course, a team that still has Dmitry Kulikov and Nathan Beaulieu. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Obviously, losing Ben Sherratt to the Canadians and, like I said, Truba to the Rangers, it'll make things maybe just a hair bit tougher on the back end this season. Of course, Dustin Bufflin, as reported a couple, or I believe yesterday, getting a he was he was able to receive a 
person leave of absence. Nothing has come aware of that. Of course, the team asking for Bufflin and his family's privacy. Nothing yet to report on that. But as he'll miss some time through training camp, will be one of the alternate captains of the Jets. It'll be a little bit tougher on the back end this season for the Jets. How will they do? They do. They still have cap room, but of course, like we said, Line and Connor still waiting on the waiting on their deals. But of course, kind of tracing back to Marner here. Now the trickle down will come through effect. Line, Connor, Point, Konechny. You will start to see signings here within the next few days. Obviously, we'll probably hopefully report on all of them in the next in our next episode next week. But, and Miko Ranton as well, almost forgot him. I guess we can take a quick second here to talk about this. What now will be the values for these players? I don't see Patrick Lining getting a big, long contract. I'm still looking at a bridge for him. Connor may get five or six years, depending on the value of the term, the AAV at least. The two big ones to look at will, of course, be Braden Points and Miko Ranton's contract. I believe... With the guys in the room, and especially looking at a guy like Nathan McKinnon and Landeskog, I don't expect Ranton to get $10 million. I believe with the leaders in that room, they kind of, I don't want to say convinced, they won't convince Rantanen, but I believe Rantanen will be less spearheaded on delaying the inevitable contract signing. I'm looking at Rantanen getting about $9.5 million. I'm looking at that deal, and I'm thinking... Well, it'll be a fair. It'll be like a five-year deal. It'll get into his his eventual UFA years, but it won't be awful. It won't be a horrible contract that the Avalanche will have to sign. They really don't have. I mean, they have fifteen point six left in cap space. So trust me when I say, money's not an issue for Colorado. But I believe with the type of players that they have around Colorado, they kind of realize that this is a team that you want to keep everyone together. They're going to be a really interesting team. Ranton will be signed, and they'll have room for others. They'll have room to make debt moves at the deadline if they're still a competitive team. Will Grubauer be a starting number one goaltender? That remains to be foreseen, but you have room to go after a goaltender if you really want to. And despite losing Tyson Berry, you still have, on the back end, Eric Johnson, Ian Cole, Will Bowen Byer make it out of camp? The big junior defenseman, the number four draft pick? Who knows? Kale McCarr. Jared Bednar already came out and said when asked, hey, who's going to replace Tyson Berry on the power play? One word, McCarr. Right-handed shot, talented player, great vision, and already has shown that he can play at the NHL level. Going into the playoffs, he jumped in and looked totally fine. Nikita Zadorov, who was signed as well. This Colorado Avalanche team, with the only question mark really being the goaltending, is pretty well set. JT Comfer signed. Jonas Donskoy was brought over. Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon still there. Nazem Kadri, of course, the big trade with the Leafs. You have your depth center there. You still have Matt Calvert. Matt Nito can be a big player. Tyson Jost is still in his third year of his ELC. There is a lot of talent up and down this Avalanche roster. The Central Division's got to take notice here. I don't expect them... Battling for a wild card spot, guys. I expect them to be battling up there with possibly St. Louis, possibly with Chicago. Who knows? Who knows with the Hawks anymore? But they will be probably, probably, probably. Geez, not enough coffee this morning, Tyler. 
probably be a team battling for the top three. You're looking at a possibility where we may see the Jets battling for a wild card spot and one of, if not, Chicago, St. Louis, and Colorado. I mean, Minnesota and Dallas are huge question marks, of course, but the top of the Central Division will be tight, but it will not be who we expect to see up there. But of course, it all comes back now to Braden Point. Braden Point, RFA with the Tampa Bay Lightning, still waiting, still asking questions. LTIR, the Bolts, do not have. They buried Louis Domingue and Mike Conan in the minors, so that figures up a grand total of $1.4 million. However, the Lightning only have $8,476,669 left in cap space. Boy, oh boy, am I going to love to see the bridge contract that Julian Breeze was going to have to pull out of his keister. Because, obviously, Point's not getting max money. He's not getting max term. Because Braden Point, looking at Marner, is probably going to ask for $10 million. Nikita Kucherov's not making $10 million. He's making nine and a half. Steven Stamkos is making eight and a half. Now, don't get me wrong. He signed that in 2016. So, I mean, they signed him up for long term because Stevie Eiserman is a genius. They were able to get a depth player like Patrick Maroon in there. How effective will he be at 31 years old? I don't know. You still have Andre Palat. You still have Yanni Gord. But if you're... My my biggest concern, or your biggest concern if you're Julian Brisewaugh, is point willing to take a bridge deal for a reasonable cost. A 3x6, a 2x7... How is he going to take it? Because unfortunately, like we said before previously on the, the Keel podcast, Tyler Johnson is not going to be moved. Not because his production is bad, but because of his production at his contract value. Five million AAV is not some, is something no team is going to take on right now for a guy that is not 100% anymore like he used to be. And really can't put up any points. $5 million for a guy that's putting up 47 points. And like I said, he got that $5 million because he has because he had a 72-point season in the 14-15 season that saw the Lightning go to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then he ended up getting hurt in the Finals, or in that playoff run leading to the Stanley Cup Finals. By the way, in a playoff run that saw him score 23 points in 26 games. Thank you to EliteProspects.com. Which is a part of which is in a partnership with catfriendly.com. But Brain Point has shown that he can be a real top player in this league. But how is this going? How are these negotiations going to go now? Obviously, if you're point, you don't want to waste too much time. And yes, the Lightning have enough talent that they could lose a guy like Brain Point. And I yes, I said that. That was you can quote me on that. You can tweet me at it, hashtag the kill podcast at TJKU29, you can tell me that I'm a loony for thinking that Braden Point can be out of the lineup and the Lightning be just fine. But that's the truth. I wonder if Braden Point can see that. That if he did not sign with Tampa and he was left to the wayside, that they'd be fine, just, they'd be just fine without him. Now Mitch Marner with the Leafs, 
it would have been interesting to see how they could do. They'd still be a very good hockey team, a 90-plus point team, a team that could easily make the playoffs still. But obviously, he brings an extra element. Brayden Point, the last couple of years, has shown that he can be a top guy in this league, but with the type of talent and the amount of talent that the Lightning still have on that roster, they will still be just a good team. A President's Trophy winning team? Eh, don't know yet. But they still be a very competitive hockey club. A playoff team indeed, and a competitive team in the playoffs. They just obviously have to win a game in the playoffs first. But, Braden Point's going to have to really kind of think about that. If he asks for too much, Julian Breeswell has every reason to stay to go off to the side, similar to how Kyle Dubas was. If Julian Breeswell cannot fit him within the cap, within his demands, with within Braden Point's and his camp's demands, no reason that Julian Breeswell should try to succumb to a ridiculous offer. Now, yes, if there is a team out there that's willing to take on the contract of Tyler Johnson, go for it and then get Braden Point signed for that max term. Absolutely. So, now, we'll obviously wait to see what's going to happen there, but nothing to really show for it yet. I'm sure that, like I said, with Marner signing, the trickle-down effect will continue on, including with the Philadelphia Flyers, who just signed Ivan Provorov, RFA defenseman Ivan Provorov, to a six-year deal at $6.75 million. Fair contract for a defenseman like Provorov. Once again, another talented defenseman. He has a left-handed shot, and now he actually is officially the highest-paid defenseman on the Flyers roster, making 6.75, which is $1 million more than Matt Niskanen, the right-handed shooting defenseman. But it's a big move, obviously, getting one of your RFA signed. Travis Konechny is still in there. Konechny is a kind of a guy, I think, maybe there, maybe, I don't know if he was exactly waiting for Mitch Marner, because no offense to Konechny and the Flyers, but Konechny is not at the same level as Mitch Marner is. Konechny is a very good defenseman, so that's why I think he was maybe waiting to see what Ivan Provorov was going to get. So now seeing that Provorov is making 6.75, expect Konechny to get around that area of the contract, or maybe around the 6 to 7 mil, maybe a little bit more than 7, depending on how the negotiations go. But expect him to get signed here relatively recently, or relatively soon, excuse me, because obviously Konechny realizes that this is a really good team the Flyers are bringing to the fold this year. They didn't really pick up an astronomical amount of players, but you have the return of Carter Hart. Brian Elliott sent for one more year to probably split time with the youngster. But look at this team who they have. They still have Claude Giroux, who can still put up points. Jakob Voracek. They signed Kevin Hayes, which you really have to make work now at that with seven million, over $7 million a season. For Kevin Hayes, you got to make that work. JVR, if he can stay healthy, that's going to be a big point. You have Sean Couturier still. Nolan Patrick's entering the final year of his ELC. Relax, relax, Flyers fans. It's okay. Nolan Patrick, he'll sign. It's okay. Calm down. I know you're all panicking now. I'm like, what do you mean another RFA? Yes, I know. But then you have Konechny. He'll come on board. Looking at the defense. Provorov, Niskanen, the Ghost Bear. Yes, he's not been the point producer he's been in his first couple years in the league, but he's still a capable defenseman. Justin Braun, yes, Sammy Morin, Travis Sanheim is heading on the upward. This Flyers team, guys, is going to be a very competitive hockey club. The Metro Division is going to be wild. They may not be setting the President's Trophy numbers, but it's up for grabs on who wins it. 
I know Alex Ovechkin's going to eat an extra box of OVOs to make sure he's ready for the year. By the way, did you guys see that? Alex Ovechkin going to a, a an, I think it was an elementary school with a, with a cart full of OVOs, walks into the room, and nobody knows who Alex Ovechkin is. That's a little embarrassing, don't you think? You know, one of the best goal scorers of this generation, not even noticed by a bunch of kids because, well, it is the state's. And it's not in a huge hockey market like Washington. Yes, I said it. I said it. You can at me. At me, bro. Washington, D.C., with everything that's going on, is not a big hockey market. Or the exposure for the team is not great in the area, I should say. Yes, the Caps fans, they go out and they're loyal to their cap, their capitals. But when a superstar walks into a room... Sidney Crosby walks anywhere in Pittsburgh. Boy, he's getting hugs from everybody. Man, woman, child. Everyone recognizes Sidney Crosby. Alex Ovechkin walks into a room in Washington, D.C., to a classroom, and you hear crickets? And the teachers have to hype up the kids? That's all sad. A guy that's who, if he continues at the rate he is, could easily set the most goals in an NHL career. Being looked at as no more than a random guy wearing a hockey sweater who brought us cereal? Okay, that's awkward. But now they're going to have to try to figure things out. If you're a Caps PR, you really have to kind of be like, all right, we got we to gotta work on this, guys. We got to figure something out here because this is bad if our star player is not getting looked at. But sometimes that's the NHL in the States. I'm sure if Phil Kessel walked in to a random place down in Glendale or Phoenix, maybe, and I say maybe, a person will look at him and be like, hey, I know you. And I say maybe. If you, if you guys remember the old NHL 36 that used to air on NHL Network, or it was NBC Sports Network, whatever it was? They'd follow a player around for 36 hours, whatever. I think they did Lidstrom. They did James Neely's with Pittsburgh. They did Patrice Bergeron. And one was Mike Richards. And this was actually right before the Kings went on that magical run to the finals. I believe it was right before Daryl Sutter came on. Around the same time when Daryl Sutter was hired, right after Terry Murray got fired, it was around that area, around that time frame, when they recorded it with him. And Mike Richards went in to do a... This was right after Richards was traded over from the Philadelphia Flyers. He went into a radio station and the lady asked who he was. And Mike was confused on what was going on. And Mike Richards, he looked over at the camera after he was able to get past the secretary, whatever her name was, and literally looked at the camera and said this would never have happened in Philadelphia. (laughs) That's just because of the markets that they're in. Listen, we love you know Carolina Hurricanes fans. They show that they're some of the most passionate fans in the league. But I guarantee you, if Sebastian Ajo or you know even Justin Williams walked around Raleigh by themselves, they're not going to get swarmed like a player would be in Pittsburgh or a player in you know Nassau County. I would say Manhattan, but there's enough people in New York that you could easily miss walking by Henrik Lundqvist. Actually, not Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist is pretty easily to notice, but it's definitely got to be a shot in the arm for. Alex Ovechkin to 
walk into a room. Usually when Ovechkin walks into a room, it's like, whoa, it's Ovechkin, oh my gosh, and round of applause and fireworks, stuff like that. Walk into a room with a bunch of kids and just hear nothing. It's got to be a little awkward. Nonetheless, a couple last things here to talk about. Uh, actually, only one more thing to talk about. I looked at the list here. I had to change a couple things here. Like we said, a little bit of a shorter episode. We must acknowledge the Shea Theodore story that came out in the Players' Tribune article this past week. If you are not following the Players' Tribune, I am sorry, you are definitely missing out. It's not, I mean, I'm not like promoting like The Athletic, because obviously The Athletic is to- a bunch of great stories. But why the Players' Tribune is such a big deal is because it's written by the players. Players write articles in as a part of this publication, online publication. And recently one that came out this week. And by the way, it's not just hockey either. There's football, racing, basketball, baseball, whatever. I follow them and I get a lot of, there's a lot of great pieces that come out of here. I remember that was where the Robin Leonard story came out last season and John Scott's all-star, a guy like me, where his piece came out right before the all-star break in 2016, where that came out. That was a big story, which eventually led to a book. (laughs) But Shea Theodore wrote a piece out this week and it was titled To My Golden Knights Family. When it starts off like that, it's almost like, is he retiring? Something wrong? Something, something's got to be wrong. Well, apparently, Shea Theodore, three months ago, was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And that is a definite shot in the arm. So the story goes, as told by Theodore, that... Knights get eliminated by the playoffs. Obviously, the infamous five-minute major. He goes to Slovakia to be part of Team Canada with the World Championships. After they win the silver medal, Shea Theodore apparently failed a drug test that was taken before their, their quarterfinal matchup, Team Canada. And, of course, he's panicking, thinking, what could he have possibly taken? Because he doesn't take drugs. He's never done anything. Well, apparently, there was a hormone in his body that triggered the specific failed test, and it's called HCG, which is only found in women during pregnancy. But, as we now know, in some cases, can be a sign of testicular cancer. And, obviously, that's never anything you want to hear. Because cancer is absolutely a horrible, horrible thing. My family has lost members to him. And Shea Theodore also mentioned that that his girlfriend's family members have come close with, has some real tough bouts with cancer. And people get diagnosed almost on the daily, unfortunately, in this world with cancer. And coincidentally, Shea Theodore's agent was also Phil Kessel's agent when Phil Kessel had cancer back when he was at the Boston Bruins in his early days in his career. He went back for blood tests. Obviously, he went back home and took some blood tests and blood samples to 
test to make sure actually if it was the case, and it was. There clearly was something there. And there was a slight tumor. And according to what he said or what his doctor said, there was a five millimeter lump in one of his testicles. It'll be a routine routine procedure. And according to him, because he never been apparently Theodore had never been under surgery, had never been put under. And he was very had a lot of anxiety about it. And let me tell you, if something who has been put under before, it's almost it's it is nerve wracking because you know you're going for surgery, but it is very a very relaxing event because you just you just go out and that's it. You wake up a few minutes later, even though it had been a few hours that had passed. But one of the things was, of course, he mentioned the Vegas Golden Knights team. Not just the team, not the players, but the wives and the girlfriends. They are extremely tight. Very close with each other. Almost like a, he said he compared it to almost like a bunch of freshmen in college that are that all get along really well. And his girlfriend sent out a mass text to everyone. And almost immediately, Jonathan March, so who, by the way, he was rooming with while they were in Slovakia during the World Championships. They had a long conversation about it. And Phil Kessel, the morning of his surgery, they actually had ran to each other a couple days before at a golf course. And Phil Kessel texted him saying everything is going to be okay because obviously, like I said, Phil Kessel had been through it himself. But the wound was, it was, the lump was successfully removed. And apparently, according to him, it actually hurt to laugh, which is, which is kind of, I mean, I don't say not funny, but it is, you know, because, you know, you're fine, everything feels better, but you can't laugh or whatever, and everyone's, like, trying to make him laugh because he was in pain. Because that's how players are. They like, to, they like to give him, no pun intended, a jab in the side, or at least that's how he described laughing, Theodore did, after the surgery. But the doctors... They were able to do a biopsy on the mass that was the lump that was. And it was a mixed germ cell tumor, embroinal and semino, semino, seminoma, stage one, which is good that they found it this early. And apparently the embryo component had been very aggressive and spread to his abdominal and lymph nodes, which was caught early because of the comprehensive blood testing at the world's. But... It's a good thing they found it because Theodore's the kind of guy, and it's and it's it's honestly horrible because, you know, between nine and ten thousand men a year are diagnosed with testicular cancer, and most commonly in the ages of twenty to thirty-five. Which, yes, if you are realizing this, yes, I am right in the middle of that. Perks of having a nurse fiance, ladies and gentlemen, she likes to make sure I'm healthy all the time. But yet, the way we eat is kind of, kind of awful at times. But he also, in his piece, he made sure he sent a link to, you know, to make sure you check for the symptoms and all that. He's very, I mean, he said he's very grateful to the Vegas Golden Knights, the players, you know, the family that is the Vegas Golden Knights, how tight they are. But he's glad now because he made a good point that saying that hockey players are not the most open. They're not really good at handling emotions. Which is why the joke is whenever you see a post-game interview, a pre-game interview, they're all like robots. They all just, oh, you know, we're just here for the hockey team. You'll get pucks deep, get pucks in that, blah, 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 blah. They keep it short and sweet. 
because they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know what it's like to get really emotional in a time like that. And Theodore could not have thanked the Knights enough as he put in his piece for being there supporting him. And of course, we here on the Keel Podcast support him in his recovery. He said they're going to have a lot of doctors checking up on him all the time, which is good, which you're going to do, of course, for the next probably year or so to check on to make sure that it not spread to anywhere else in his system. But we are all in for Shea in his recovery and for his hopeful, inevitable, long-term health because, of course, in the game, we've seen it with Mario Lemieux, with Phil Kessel, all these other guys that have, Saku Koivu, guys that have gone through it before. And, and Shea Theodore very humbly said that he was nowhere near it. Like he, you know, because, you know, you go to hospitals and you see kids that have had leukemia and had to go through chemo and all that. He said that those are the brave ones, and he himself just had an easy case, even though cancer is something that can never be taken lightly. So we're glad to hear Shea Theodore is doing better. We're wishing him the best of health. We're glad to see him be back on the ice for this season. Good luck to Theodore, and obviously for all the Knights, for being there for him just shows how tight one team can be and how tight the hockey community is. Of course, the public, you know, the, the public, the, I don't say backlash, but the, the response to Theodore's article has been all but positive. Everyone cheering for him. Everyone saying best of luck, sending him best wishes. That's why the game of hockey is such a beautiful thing. Everyone's able to willing to help someone out in need. They're always there to cheer someone on. It is honestly one of the best things, one of the greatest things I love about this game. And on that note, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of the Kill Podcast. Once again, Follow us at The Kill Podcast. Tweet using the hashtag The Kill Podcast and tell us what you think of today's show. Tweet me at TJKU29 if you're interested to find out more about how I reacted last night during when I found out about Mitch Marner's contract. But also be sure to follow the Downtown Sports Network. A lot of good content coming out of there. Find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, We're there. We're everywhere. Thank you very much once again, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time here on the Keel Podcast.